Hello everyone, welcome to the newest episode of Real World Nutrition. This is episode 110, Diabetes, Taking Charge of Your Health. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Real World Nutrition. I am your host and the founder of Real World Nutrition, Shelley Rael, and a registered dietitian nutritionist. So today I'm going to address a bit about diabetes. This is a very lengthy topic, complex topic, but I just want to address some of the things about taking charge of your health and your risk factors for diabetes and a little bit more about what diabetes is and primarily addressing type 2 diabetes and prediabetes and how to check if you have it. Now, November is National Diabetes Month, and there's every year an effort to bring attention to diabetes from risk factors to how to take care of your health if you have diabetes, how to reduce your risk, as I said, risk factors already. And I just want to mention that increasing awareness of many chronic health issues, including diabetes, is something I do year round. I just want to highlight the information about diabetes here. And I want to emphasize this. It is so much easier to focus on prevention than addressing things after a diagnosis. I shouldn't say it's easier, but it's it's easier to prevent a disease than manage it once we have it. And the more we can do to reduce the risk of getting a chronic health issue or putting it off as long as we can, the better it will be for our overall health. Now, I just want to mention this. I always like some of this trivia information that World Diabetes Day is held on November 14th each year to commemorate the birthday of Sir Frederick Banting. And he was one of the co-discoverer, he co-discovered insulin in 1922. And this discovery of insulin to treat people with diabetes in 1922, in my opinion, is one of the more amazing medical advancements in the past hundred and some years. Now, diabetes, in the U.S. at least, is one of the top 10 leading causes of death. But let me emphasize this. People don't often realize that diabetes is a comorbidity, or I should say people with diabetes do also have heart disease as well. So even if you don't have a diagnosable heart disease yet, if you have diabetes, you are already considered to have heart disease because many people who have diabetes will die from not the diabetes itself, but complications from heart disease attributed to diabetes. And heart disease is the number one cause of death for both men and women in the United States and has been number one for decades. Now, addressing insulin briefly, it is a medication primarily to use type 1 diabetes. It is also used sometimes in people with type 2 diabetes. But because the focus of risk reduction and prevention is primarily on type 2 diabetes, that's what I'm going to cover in today's episode. 
Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease and really lifestyle factors cannot really change the risk of getting type 1 diabetes. And type 1 only makes up about 5% of all the cases of diabetes. So I'm not ignoring type 1 diabetes. I'm just addressing the more prevalent form of diabetes, type 2. So addressing type 2 diabetes and prediabetes. So as I've said, type 2 diabetes is the most common form of diabetes, making up 90 to 95% of all cases. And with type 2 diabetes, the body can still make insulin, it just doesn't use it properly. And as I said, people may or may not need insulin with type 2 diabetes, They may often manage it with lifestyle or other types of medication and not necessarily insulin. And then here's the key. A person may have diabetes for years without knowing it. Now, some people may recall that type 2 diabetes was once called adult onset diabetes or non-insulin dependent diabetes, but those two terms are not accurate because children can get type 2 diabetes and then some people with type 2 diabetes may need insulin. And then another diagnosis, today we know about prediabetes. And prediabetes is a serious health condition which with higher blood sugar levels than expected, but it's not yet high enough to be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. It does, having prediabetes does increase the risk of developing type 2, increases the risk of heart disease, and increases the risk of stroke. Now, here's something that is essential to know. Prediabetes is not diabetes yet. It can be reversed. It can be stopped. It can be at least delayed. Now, statistics suggest that about 88 million American adults, more than one in three people, have prediabetes. Yet of those with prediabetes, more than 84% don't know they have it. So as I said, prediabetes, I said diabetes can exist for years, but prediabetes can exist for years and have no apparent symptoms and can go undetected until serious health problems, such as the advancement to type 2 diabetes and the complications related to it, start happening. So how do you know if you have it? If all these people out there have it but don't know it, then how will you know? Well, get tested. It's like any other health issue. If you don't get screened, don't get tested, you may not ever know you have it. So getting tested requires a blood test, and it could be a simple finger stick to test what we call your capillary blood sugar. So the capillaries are the blood vessels in your fingers. But it could also be a screening. That I should say that would be a screening if you have your finger stick, and that would be a screening. You would still want to get additional blood tests. Now, there's a couple way to do, ways to do this. Now, the preferred method 
In testing for diabetes, we also use this for testing how well people are managing their diabetes, is the hemoglobin A1C. Sometimes we just refer to it as the A1C. And this is the result. This result is listed as a percentage showing the average blood sugar for two to three months. So with diabetes, it is diagnosed with an A1C that is greater than 6.5%. Pre-diabetes is diagnosed when it's 5.7 to 6.4%. And then at 5.6 or below is no issue. Now keep in mind, this is the screen for if somebody has diabetes. Once somebody has a diagnosis, the goal numbers will differ from those numbers that I just said. Now, when you get tested, when you have the blood test, they'll give you the results or they will tell you the results as well as on the lab work, it'll tell you what is considered appropriate, normal diabetes or prediabetes. Now, another testing for diabetes and prediabetes is the fasting plasma glucose. So this is where you get a blood draw. Most of the time you get the blood drawn at first thing in the morning after an eight hour fast, eight or 12 hour fast. And when I say fast, some people think no eating, but it's no eating or drinking anything but water prior to this blood draw. So with that, diabetes is diagnosed when that glucose level, that fasting plasma glucose level is greater than 126 milligrams per deciliter. And prediabetes is diagnosed at 100 milligrams per deciliter to 125 milligrams per deciliter. Now, something is very important here to emphasize. Just because of result at that moment, a single blood draw is telling you your glucose levels we don't want that to necessarily be a diagnosis. Really, they wanna do a second blood test to be sure because that's just a snapshot of that moment. And it could be elevated. Sometimes I've seen people with elevated glucose levels, but they had something to eat right before they came or they had something to eat about four or five hours ago and it still hadn't fully come back down. So that's why we preferred that hemoglobin A1C because that doesn't need a second blood test to confirm. And really, I emphasize that people should get screened regularly every one to two years, especially if you have risk factors for diabetes. And when that's screening every one to two years, that can be part of your annual physical or however often you have a physical with a blood draw that draws blood for other things as well as your A1C or your glucose. So what are those risk factors? Those risk factors fall into two major categories. And we have the modifiable risk factors and we have the non-modifiable risk factors. And the modifiable, obviously, those are ones that we can change. And the non-modifiable, those are obviously ones that cannot be changed. So non-modifiable, the ones we cannot change. Being 45 years or older, really, the older we get, the higher the risk. If you have a first-degree relative with type 2 diabetes, so a first-degree relative would be your parents or your siblings. So, if yeah, you could say my dad's aunt or 
my mom's cousin has diabetes, that's not really considered an immediate risk factor. It's when you have that first degree relative. Now, for women, if you've had gestational diabetes or giving birth to a baby who weighed more than nine pounds, that increases your risk of type 2 diabetes. And those of us who get prenatal care during our pregnancy, where most of us are tested for those glucose levels at some point during the pregnancy to test for gestational diabetes. Additionally, if you have PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, that increases your risk as well. And then here, we find that in some segments of the population, the risk goes up. And that would include persons of African-American descent, American Indian descent, some Asian Americans, Hispanic or Latino American, and Pacific Islander descent. So basically, if you're human and you get to a certain age, your risk goes up. Again, risk goes up. Now, modifiable risk includes being overweight and being physically active less than three times per week. Now, these are things that are risk factors. It's not a definitive that if you are overweight, you will get diabetes. It's just a risk factor. And then other risk factors, having high blood pressure or taking medication to treat blood pressure, and then having a low HDL cholesterol, that's the so-called good cholesterol, and or high triglycerides. So those are risk factors, and so it's just something to pay attention to. Now, signs and symptoms of diabetes, is this is somewhat challenging because there's no clear signs or symptoms of type 2 diabetes. They exist and can be mild, ignored, or explained by other things in life. So here are some of those symptoms. Increased thirst, frequent urination, increased hunger, unintended weight loss, fatigue, blurred vision, slow healing sores, frequent infections, numbness or tingling of the hands or feet, and then areas of darkened skin, usually in the armpits, groin, and neck. This is called acanthosis nigricans. So all of those symptoms can have other things explainable. Increased thirst and increased urination. If, you're, if it's hot, there's various times when you can have increased thirst. And then coming with that, you could have increased urination. Unintended weight loss. Some people are thrilled by weight loss, but really, if there is a significant weight loss that wasn't planned, this is a risk. Fatigue. Oh my gosh, in this life we have, fatigue can be for many things. Numbness and tingling of the hands or feet. This is something where every time I feel tingling in my feet, I'm going, oh my goodness, I have diabetes. I don't, but it's one of those things that I think about. So I just tell people, keep in mind these various risk factors. And when they're occurring together and more often, more noticeable, definitely get tested. Because if these are ignored or go too long without being addressed, 
It increases the risk of nerve damage, including to your feet and your kidneys. Increases the risk of skin infections. Increases the risk of eye problems, including blindness. And definitely increases the risk of heart disease, including high blood pressure and stroke. So what can you do? Well, someone with prediabetes can stop that progression to type 2 diabetes with interventions and moderate lifestyle changes. It can help return blood sugar levels to the so-called normal range and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. So the critical part here is making and keeping the healthier lifestyle habits through food choices and physical activity. And even small changes can have a significant impact on delaying or preventing diabetes altogether. So some of these changes can include calorie reduction, increased physical activity to at least 150 minutes per week, and if overweight or with a classification of obesity, a weight loss of 5 to 7% of body weight. So that doesn't mean it needs to go into a different category. You don't need to get it to the so-called normal weight, but really that 5 to 7% can make a big difference. And with addressing calorie reduction, it is not just about cutting things out. I always encourage people to add items such as fruits, vegetables, plant-based protein foods, healthy cuts of animal protein, and appropriate fluid intake. You can also just reduce, not just, you can also reduce overall portion sizes and minimize added sugars, refined grains, and overly processed foods. So just again, going back to that 5 to 7%, that 5 to 7% weight loss reduces the risk of diabetes by about 58% in adults with high risk for the disease. And that, again, is for that weight classifications of overweight or various forms of obesity. That means if somebody is 200 pounds, 5 to 7% is 10 to 14 pounds, or 7 to 11 pounds for someone who's 150 pounds. Now, there's no specific diet to follow. Patterns and portions are crucial components for weight loss and balancing the plate and the meal with half the meal or half the plate being non-starchy vegetables. A quarter of the plate with non-fried protein options and a quarter of the plate with carbohydrate-rich foods that would be like whole grains or the starchy vegetables. And then choosing water or other no-calorie fluids is best, especially choosing those over sugar-sweetened beverages. And then there's something that I encourage is eating at regular intervals about every four hours to help keep glucose levels steady. And this is ensuring that there's a protein food with each eating episode. All right, so this was a lot of information. I acknowledge that, and it can be overwhelming. So if you have a newly diagnosed, have been newly diagnosed with diabetes, 
definitely find an endocrinologist who has a dietitian and a certified diabetes care and education specialist, or a CDCES, as part of their practice. If you're at risk, get tested at your next physical and discuss your risks with your healthcare provider. Even if you are at low risk, it is good to get tested as part of your routine blood work and discuss your risk, your signs, your symptoms, and any testing results with a qualified healthcare professional individually. So don't just go by what you read on the internet. And while I am a qualified healthcare professional, I would want to discuss your specific situation and results individually. You need to ensure that you have information that applies to you specifically. So that is looking at your specific risks. So if you are interested in learning more, you can schedule with me a free 30-minute introductory call, and we can discuss some of those risk factors or if you've been newly diagnosed and how to approach this. And I just want to encourage you to get screened. A lot of people say they don't want to know. They don't want to know. They don't want to deal with this. And really, the longer it is put off, the more potential damage that can be done. And then turn could turn out that you may not be at a place yet where you need to worry about this, but it's still important to get screened. All right, everyone, that is Real World Nutrition for this week's episode. I encourage you to follow this podcast so you get the new episodes every week, every Friday, and then head on over, checking the links in the show notes, head on over to the website and see what other information I have there available for you. I've got more than 200 blog posts over there where you can read more about diabetes and other lifestyle factors that can help your health and real world nutrition. You all take care. Bye for now.